Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Leaders Radio Network. Welcome to the Graduate Circuits Program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past week in racing and racing news and preview next week for you. Joining me in the studio, Richard Uden, Louise Torres. Guys, how we doing, man? Good, thank you. Good. Feels great to be a part of Geno season, which is a positive. <laughs> so, um... We did have a big weekend of racing, all three major series in action. Uh, IndyCar wrapping up their season. Uh, NASCAR's playoffs getting underway and, and, you know, Formula One deep into their season as well. Uh, But the most compelling racing news involves uh, some off-track activity that involves Kyle Busch, uh, you know, in one of the worst kept secrets of recent vintage uh, is now official that he will be leaving uh, Joe Gibbs racing. He'll be leaving uh, Toyota and he will be a Richard Childress driver next year, uh, taking over the number eight car that's currently driven by um, Tyler Reddick. Now what happens to Reddick? You know, there's some questions that need to be answered there because they still have Reddick under contract for another season before he departs to, become a Toyota driver with 23 XI racing in 2024. So, uh, I mean, the long and short of it is uh, I believe that this is a, it's a good move for Childress. I mean, their team went through pretty long dry spell, um, but they've been improving as of late and getting a top guy in like a Kyle Busch can uh, can only help. You know, they, they had a pretty good season this year that, you know, both their drivers won races, you know, both their drivers made the playoffs. Uh, and this is, you know, again, following a pretty, pretty long drought they had for a time uh, after in the post uh, Harvick years. So uh, Louise, I mean, your, your thoughts on this move with, uh, with Kyle Busch is, is pretty, pretty big news. And there's a lot of real, um, varied reactions from people that think it's the greatest thing in the world to people that are just absolutely horrified that Richard Childress would compare Kyle Busch to the late great Dale Sr. If you were to tell me in tw- in 2011 that Kyle Busch and Richard Childress would join forces at some point in the future, I would have laughed considering they were coming to blows at that point after a, a minuscule truck race where Kyle Busch rough fenders with Joey Coulter. I would have laughed, but today... Not so much. It kind of shows you how maturity and kind of the market value is. There's like when an opportunity arises to get a top tier driver, sure, not the top guy in terms of performance right now. You could arguably say there's a couple drives that are ahead of Kyle Busch pound for pound performance, but the raw talent is there. And I think what RC saw in Kyle is like as soon as the announcement was made that Reddick was going to go to 2311 in 2024, you go for the best, for the best driver available. And Kyle Busch is the top free agent that they have in NASCAR, probably the biggest in a long time. And for RCR to get Kyle Busch is a huge get. Next, obviously, causes a massive ripple effect all across the board. Right, and all three national touring divisions. When you really think about it, because what what Kyle RCR gets is Kyle Busch being taking that eight car that's that Tyler Reddick has done phenomenal all season long. What the question was, can he elevate that team? And that's the biggest thing for me. Can he elevate a race team to the next level? We've seen a number of cases what Kirk can do with any team he jumps in. He finds a way to make them better. We don't know about Kyle because he's been at Joe Gibbs Racing since 2008 onwards. 
And when he tried to do his own thing in Xfinity, that that didn't quite work out too so well for him as far as the wins column. The question is how you do deep in his 30s with RCR. That's the big question that I have. And what the and the truck program KBM is going to go from to the Chevy, which obviously the TRD program is a huge unknown because when you look at it, the driver development. Venerini is exclusively ARCA. Bill McAnally Racing was their pipeline for a few years in regionals before they went to Chevy. And now with KBM going to Chevrolet, who they got left? They have Thor Sport. They have a Tory to look at. But whether or not they're going to put a lot of money into that is, remains unknown. And what does it mean for guys like John Hunter Nemechek, Corey Heim, and Chandler Smith? Where do they go afterwards? That's a huge mystery that, that will be talked about for months to come. In my book. <laughs> yeah, again, like you said, huge ripple effect. And then, then of course, the other, you know, the other thought is, okay, so now now there's the opening at Joe Gibbs Racing. Obviously, the heir apparent to that seat would be uh young Ty Gibbs. Um, yeah. It nothing, nothing official there yet, but uh, you know, they've been they've been grooming him for uh to join that team for quite some time. And I think it was just a matter of uh, you know, wh- whether it would be true X Hamlin or um you know, or, or Kyle stepping aside first and, you know, Kyle made the first move there. Uh, so, uh, so that seat is open, likely be Ty Gibbs. Um, we do know Tyler Reddick is contracted to 23 XI racing in 2024. Uh, although there's a big question of, of whether or not Kurt Busch is going to be healthy enough to return uh, to that 45 car uh, to compete next season. And if he's not, I suppose the possibility exists that uh, they try to uh, buy Childers out of uh, Reddick's contract a year early. Otherwise, uh, you know, Childers did say that Reddick would be in uh, in a Childers car. Uh, might not be uh, RCR. It could be uh, they could farm him out to a colleague or something like that, or or they could, they could make the guy step down to Xfinity. I suppose if they'd like, but uh, again. That that may actually void the contract, but that's that's another moving part there. We'll have to see where that goes. You know, a lot a lot of hinges on Kurt Busch's health. Obviously, um, you know, twenty three XI has not given up on Kurt returning yet, but uh, you know, just the 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 long recovery period, and it's uh, yeah, you've got to start to say, you know, maybe maybe this is the end the end of racing um, for Kurt. Yeah, which would be a shame on all intents and purposes for Kerr that if his career ends prematurely because as I mentioned, he he's one of the top one of the more better top drivers pound for pound, as I mentioned how he elevates race teams, and which we don't know much about Kyle because we've only seen him in Joe Gibbs or his own equipment for a lar- a huge chunk of his career. So it'd be curious to see if that trade works well for Kyle, adapts well for Kyle. And I because and as far as Ty Gibbs is concerned, I think had it not been for I think had it not been what he's shown to do so far in his Cup career, filling in for Kerr, I don't think we'd be discussing as that much about Ty right now. But either or, it's going to be discussed. The question is when will that happen? It could it could be at the off season, or it could be two weeks before the clash. For all we know, knowing how Ty Gibbs in the past, how he handles or how the team handles. Silly season rumors and speculations. They wait till the bitter end of the off season to announce this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the fewer distractions during the playoffs, the better. Um, you know, and, and speaking of the playoffs, we did have a playoff race uh, in Kansas. Uh, another very tough day for Kevin Harvick, who remains at the bottom of the standings. He got, uh, you know, they got put into the wall a little early. Uh, another miserable finish for Kyle Busch, who's down there below the cut line as well. Uh, but but uh, another non-playoff driver taking the win, and that being uh, Bubba Wallace, who, um, I mean, to his credit, uh, he drove a fantastic race. He really did. Um, yeah. Yeah, he I mean, it was quite yeah, well in a car sure that did, yeah, yeah, in the car that Kurt won at Kansas, he held really held his own. He kind of bounced back from adversity because of what you mentioned about Harvick. He was kind of in the accordion effect with of him, Chastain, and Harvick that kind of led to Harvick's exit. But Bubba really held his own, and 
And on a technical note, from an owner's championship perspective, that 45 car has advanced to the next round. Because that was the big thing. Like With Kurt out of the picture for the drivers, the owners, they decided to switch Bubba from the 23 to the 45 to kind of groom him to get him acclimated to a playoff scenario. Because more, because one of the biggest things about Bubba is that he's very hard on himself. Yours truly is hard on himself on a lot of things, but he really set the tone and he held his own to the fact that he was able to fend off because Denny Hamlin and Christopher Bell were, were his true threats, but he found a way to hold off the held the pressure really good. He dealt it perfectly and he now puts them in in the round of twelve in the owners' championship, which is excellent and kind of showcases that the guy can drive. Yeah, a, maybe a silence all some of the critics that oh he he can only do good in plate tracks, super speedways, and or if it rains. Yeah, you know? I mean, so yeah, I mean, I mean, here's a guy with you know way too many critics. Uh, you know, for a guy who's actually shown a lot of improvement week after week after week. You know, if you just take take all your uh, whatever preconceived notion you have out of your mind. And just honestly look at the man's performance. He's doing everything that he should be doing um, at where he is in his career, uh, which is including winning races. And here you go. And this is a, you know, again, this is the kind of race that should shut up his critics, right? But but it won't, because you know people are people are nuts and they have their own biases and whatnot that that, that they're going to cling to. This oh okay, he he only won because he's in Kurt's car. I'm like, well, you know, it's just a number swap. Honestly, he's still with his own crew and his own guys, correct? Yeah, Booty Barker yeah, so. is now a two-time Cup winning crew chief. And talk about a guy that I think we talked about it when he after Talladega that he's been a, a journeyman crew chief. He's worked with the likes of Scott Wimmer, Dave Blaney, Casey Mears, a litany of other drivers, and now he's put in. He's basically you could arguably say he's in a team that can compete for wins as a top caliber team that is growing. Because that was never any doubt that 2311 were going to go out and get wins. It's taken him some time. Yeah, luck has been a thing. Pick stops have been a burden. But they're putting the pieces together to the point that that we may have to keep an eye on Bubba next year as far as being a, a pretty good threat of being uh, have a good playoff run. We'll see how he does in the next in the next month or so, see if that 45 team could, find, could go further in the playoffs and surprise more people as well. Yeah, so for a, for a second-year cup team, this is their third overall win. You know, we had a Talladega last year with Bubba, and then both Kansas races, Kurt winning the one earlier in the season and Bubba winning his past weekend. So, I mean, development-wise, for a second-year year team, I'd say they're ahead of the curve. You know, obviously, yeah, Toyota doesn't have tons of team to uh, – to, so, I mean, the, the wealth is shared pretty evenly amongst the Toyota teams there. Uh, so they're, so they're, getting, they're getting great support. They're getting good equipment. Um, and the team is very well funded, which is always the most important thing when it comes to performance. You know, it's always like somebody, uh, who is it? Uh, Roger Penske, you just say, what wins the race is cubic dollars, not cubic inches. Yeah. So, um, so, but kudos to them, to the whole team, you know, that's uh, coming out of the weekend looking great. But, um, so going into the cutoff race, right. We have Christopher Bell leading the points. Yeah, who and this is yeah, one you, guy that I think I recall saying he'd be the first four out. Yeah, yeah. So because so, he's just been very on the low quiet all year. He's locked yeah, in, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he's the only but one locked Bell's in. Locked in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A few more will lock themselves in after stage one. Barring yeah, because neither of the yeah neither of the wins have been um, you know by people in the playoffs, are they? So correct. Uh, yeah. So, so he's locked in. Uh, and I think, yeah, as you say, you know, literally probably another four or five get locked in just by completing stage one and finishing the top ten. So, right, yeah, but, it's but also- then there's, there's like six drivers down at the bottom that are all covered by you know three or five, about eighteen points. I think it is fifteen points, which is is nothing, especially at a place like Bristol. Yeah, you guys have like Suarez, Austin Dillon, Cindric, Harvick, the one and, and yeah, yeah, Reddick and. Um, um, you know, that um, Kyle Busch are both down there, yeah. Yep, you could have a couple of big names go out. Yeah, and then Har- Harvick's nearly in a must-win situation here, you know. Really? Well, he it doesn't just, have yeah. to, but yeah, it's going to be close. It's uh, 30, he's... 37 points out, I think. So, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's half a race behind in terms of points. 
Well, so uh, so we're on a Bristol. Uh, no dirt this time, just a, a traditional Bristol concrete. So, um, Louise, who do you like for Bristol? I think it's I think it's hard to go against with. I I honestly, that's a good question. I say Blaney if he had a, a little thing called luck at Bristol, which he doesn't. So, scratch Blaney off of my priority list. I think. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This has the writing of a Elliot win, I think. Yeah, and he's another guy. He's deeper in the points than he'd like to be, you know, especially since he came in leading this thing. Uh, I don't think he's uh, in danger of being cut off, but but a win would certainly swing some momentum back his way during the playoff here. So, and me, I'll I'll go out on a limb and and say that that um, Harvick turns it all the way around and wins the thing and and says there. So. <laughs> Or, or he'll be the first guy out again. Either one. So uh, <laughs> feast or feast or famine there. So uh, so let's uh, move on to IndyCar. But before we do, uh, there was one other interesting little tidbit in the Kyle Busch uh, news that, that Kyle Busch had casually mentioned as well that he says, well, now I'm free to compete in the Indy 500 if I'd like to, uh, because the only guy telling me I couldn't do it was my former boss being coach Joe Gibbs. So, um, so Louise, you have some thoughts on who might, uh, who might be interested to put um, Kyle Busch in their Indy 500 car. Yeah. When you look down the roster, here are the Chevy teams. You have Penske, AJ Foyt, Ed Carpenter, Hunkos, Hollinger, they're going to expand to a second car team, Arrow McLaren and Peretta, but Peretta has ties with ECR. So in theory, those are your options. McLaren to me sounds ideal, but there it's just a hot mess, euphoria style. To we're gonna have to, I want to put that on hold to see how that unfolds because they still have to deal with Rosiquist and Pelot's contracts to see where they'll end up, whether Pelot goes to Ganassi or actually goes to McLaren or where Rosiquist, who finished in the top 10 in points, stays in IndyCar for one more year or he gets sent to Formula E. So I well, here's here's the latest on on Rosenquist right now. Yeah. This this was from earlier today. Uh, Zach Brown on record saying that uh, if they can't find him, the he's uh, number one. He said he'd love to keep Felix on the IndyCar team, uh, but he said, but if they don't have an IndyCar seat for him, he is free and clear to talk to whoever he'd like to. And and there have been a number of teams uh, in contact with. Um, Felix uh, for his services because the guy really came on strong the second half of the year. Um, yeah, he's very experienced. He knows what he's doing. Uh, he's a good guy. He's he's good for the series. He's good with car development. So uh, yeah, I, I feel quite confident that we'll see Felix uh, in the IndyCar series next year. Whether or not it's McLaren, we don't know. Yeah, but it's just the whole thing with McLaren right now. I don't I I don't see it per se, and I don't see it right now and. Ed Carpenter, they got their hands full. Of course, Ed runs the 500. They got the thing with Peretta. So, Hucos, they're just starting a second car team. I think they should probably go for a veteran to further develop the car and kind of build Ilot to be even stronger next year, which they're capable of doing. Basically, what we saw in the second half of the year with Ilot, or all throughout the year, if it's not reliability problems, the car can go get some top 10 runs out of it. And then you have Foyt, which right now the only ones that we know that's going to be with Foyt is just Dalton Keller. It's just a matter or not he'll be in the four again or in the 14 and vice versa. Penske, 
is the one I can see happy because you know, if we remember not that long we were talking about how Roger will try to do what he can to get Larson in the Indy 500. I imagine he's going to willing to do the same thing for Kyle, for Kyle Busch here mm. and put him in the Ford car. It's just a matter of can they put a Ford car because right now when you look at it, the Indy 500, Penske has not been sunshine and rainbows as of late especially in qualifying. Yeah, they, they were pretty miserable the last two years, uh, you know, other, but they were, they were strong everywhere else. So I don't I don't think that uh, they're going to be inclined to add that fourth car to the lineup. I mean, they haven't done it the past couple of years since they let Elio go. Um, yeah, and Elio was so they, tremendous in those one-offs. When- yeah, yeah, but, uh, but honestly, Penske seems to operate at its optimum as a three-car operation. Every time they've tried to expand to four, the results have not been as, as solid as uh, when they're running three. I think I think three is just the magic number for them. Yeah, and it clearly shows when we talk about how the finale unfolded and just the team in general, they led the series in wins with nine out of 17. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I just oh, yeah. wanted to, to, to sort of quickly pick up the last thing you were talking about, obviously. With, um, you know, Carl's move to uh, away from the Toyota camp and away from Joe Gibbs Racing and opening up the opportunity to run uh, the Coke, uh, sorry, the Indy 500 and the Coke 600 on the same day, that to me is perfect justification why Toyota, you know, are not screaming in, you know, frustration that he's gone. You know, I've spoken about this on the, on the show before. Are you a NASCAR driver or are you an IndyCar driver? You, you can't pick one or the other. Um, you know, yeah, go run the Indy 500 when you've retired from NASCAR. Great. Don't have a problem with that. Do what Jimmy Johnson's done if that's what you want to do. But but I, I do, I, if I, you know, and I, I fully back the NASCAR team owners that invest millions of dollars in a guy who then turns around and says, well, I want to jeopardize my performance in the 600 by going off to run the 500 as well on the same day. I, it just... Smacks of unprofessionalism to me, but I guess just my purely my opinion on that one. But um, yeah, I, I think that is a key highlight to to, to one of the reasons why you know the, the, the Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing will be like, okay, well, you know, we're we're going to move on from this. We're not going to we're not going to you know cry in our conflict too long over this move. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see if Kyle actually does it. You know, because. Yeah, the racing landscape is littered with guys that have talked about doing the double and never have. You know, you you keep you know hearing these say the same names mentioned over and over again. You know, only only a couple people have actually done it. So, uh, but uh, anyway, so the IndyCar season finale, Will Power ended up winning the championship with another solid drive to the podium. Um, and, and again, just a uh, Power th- this season. You know, he came in with a with a new attitude, a calmer, quieter. A more focused willpower. Uh, the guy he completed every lap this season. You know, no DNFs. Uh, lead lap every race. He was in the top four finishing positions, and I think uh, twelve or thirteen of the, of, of, the, of the seventeen races. Yeah. Whereas you know, people say, "Well, look at Newgarden won won five races that could not." Yeah, but uh, it was feast or famine for Newgarden. You know, when yeah. when he's not finishing first, he's you know, 23rd, 25th, 18th. And those are the kind of things that you can't uh, build a championship season on. And, and, you know, and I'll, I'll just say this to people that want to try to somehow tarnish uh, Will's championship by saying he only won one race. Well, there's a couple of seasons back in the, the early part of the, the the 2000s and 2010s where Will Power won the most races and still lost the championship to guys like Dario Franchitti and Ryan Hunter Ray because those guys were more consistent over the course of the season. So and this is this is literally Will just figuring this out to say this is this is my approach. This is how I'm going to do it. And his consistent finishing is is what kept him atop those points. You know, there's uh, nothing highly flashy about it, but you figure, you know, Tom Sneva won the championship in 78, didn't even win a race. Al Unser Sr. won two championships in the 80s, only winning one race a season. So it's not like it's a new phenomenon that, uh, <laughs> you know, and the, and the funniest funniest comment I heard was somebody says, oh, it's ridiculous that New Garden didn't win. They need to use Formula One points to uh, so that the win means more. So uh, 
So somebody quickly figured up. They said, yeah, even with Formula One points, Will Bauer still wins. Yeah, because oh, of those so top five finishes. Yeah, yeah, because it, because most of, you know, most of your non-playoff type races reward consistency. So uh, so so there you go. So, I mean, great job to Will, his second title. Yeah, he also broke the record for most pole positions in the history of IndyCar. Um, you know, you know, knocked Mario Andretti down the second. Mario was the first guy there to congratulate him. And that was that was a beautiful little moment there um, because Will was almost apologetic and, and just you could tell he was just humbled to be compared to such an icon of motorsport. And Mario was nothing but uh, but happy to see his record fall to a guy like Will Power, who's been literally the king of qualifying. If you figure he's been in the, in the series since, oh, if you count his champ car years, 2007 or so, right? 2006. 2006 or seven, right? So it's 2022 now, 68 poles, you know? That's that's three to four poles a year, you know? Yeah. Every, every year, you know? So that's that's just, you know, that's talk about a man who knows how to add a throw down a qualifying lap. That's your guy. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of, and that does come a long way when you qualify good because there's teams that can qualify good and more often than they'll finish good. If you don't qualify that well, you can scratch your claw to get a good result. But championship contenders is kind of puts you at reach. You look on a number of us, you can look at several teams that struggle to qualify but find a way to climb up the leaderboard. But imagine if they were to get better and we were looking at a much competitive landscape, but we still see a competitive landscape. Like I mentioned earlier, Penske won nine of those races out of the, out of those nine. Only one was from Will Power, but we still had like what nine different winners still. So the parity is still there. We've not had a title clincher before the finale since '05, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's crazy how many how many years before the you know that the titles yeah. comes down to the last race. But that's again, you know, part of it that is the spec series and it's so competitive and so, uh, you know, driver driven when it comes to, cause, cause the, I mean, if you look at some of the, these lap times during the qualifying, you know, you got like the top 18, 20 guys separated by just hundreds, you know, sometimes it's oh. just, it's just that close. Um, you know, and, yeah. and, and for Will to pull that, that little extra to get that pole 68 times in his career is amazing. For sure. And of course, uh, I have I have to say sixty eight plus one Surfer Paradise 08, but obviously that don't count the 08. That's it, uh, but that's besides the point. But yeah, it, it, that's the thing about Will Power. He finally put a whole season together of strong runs. Not like oh, had it not been for this or had he got going at a certain time. No, he put a whole season together. Whereas you look at the other four title contenders, you can pinpoint w- one of the races that they. Had it gone different, they would have looked different. New Garden, second Iowa race. Dixon, Indy 500. Erickson needed to show up a little bit more towards the bitter end because he kind of faded away in my book. And then McLaughlin, Indy 500, that midseason skid. You And while all of that happened, Will Power was still racking up top fives more often than not. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk about New Garden for a second because he, uh, uh, you know, he's he had a very strong run, but he made a very uncharacteristic mistake uh, in qualifying where he hit uh, this little metal pyramid that they put in the curve to keep you from going too far off the curve. So we, what did he do? Went too far off the curve and hit it, uh, which kind of vaulted his car a little bit up the hill. And then he got it kind of high ended uh, and pretty much ended up starting next to last. Uh, because he didn't advance out of that session. And then to make matters worse, uh, you know, he, he didn't, I think he didn't realize that his car was totally stuck and his front wheels were actually off the ground and he wouldn't get out of the car uh, as the clock is expiring for the rest of the guys trying to set a good time there. So uh, he, he wrecked some other guys uh, qualifying runs as well in that. So he had to start from the back, but, but I mean, he, you know, through strategy and just hard driving, carved his way up there. Uh, ended up finishing second, but in first place was Alex Below, who was uh, in another time zone. I believe he was nearly 30 seconds ahead. Over 30. Uh, yeah, by the end of the race there. So, and Palou, that's his first win on the season, you know, and, and maybe this ends his career with uh, Chip Ganassi. Uh, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know how they're, how they're getting along now. I, they, I've heard very little. Uh, about how the court cases are shaping up. I believe a lot of this litigation is still yet to be heard by a, a judge or a arbitration panel or however that all works. So, um, but, but either way, great way to cap off the season for Pelot. They're taking a very convincing win 
um, there. Yeah. So, yep. it's, it's another dominant victory for Honda. Obviously, the last couple of times have been Colin and Herta, but this time it's Alex Polo was able to get the job done. And I think it's a bittersweet end to his championship defense because we're, I we were I was contemplating whether or not he'll win this season after Portland being a complete afterthought to the point of not being a contender at all. That it's just going to end like that, it's just be a complete afterthought. But in the end, he still gets a a top five championship trail ahead of uh, actually he finished ahead in points over Marcus Erickson, mind you. So it's a good way to cap off in a strong dominance fashion after going a year without a win because it's been over. Yeah, I think it. I think it would have been almost exactly a year because Laguna last Portland was not on Labor Day weekend last year. It fell in the time that Laguna took place last Sunday. So, kudos to Polo, and we'll see how how his twenty twenty three status looks like. Whether he's going to be a Ganassi or McLaren. Yeah, that'll be a developing story in the off season. So, Richard, you're quiet over there. So, uh, you get to watch any of the IndyCar finale there. Yeah, I, I, I watched, uh, you know, quite a bit of it. And, uh, I mean, it was a, I wouldn't say a processional race in some ways, but from, you know, a championship standpoint, Will Power knew exactly what he needed to do and he did it pretty damn well, didn't he? You know, he was always in control the whole weekend, got that good commanding lead early at the start and then just, just did what he needed to do from there and uh, and held it together. So, uh, you know, huge, uh, huge credit goes to Will. And, excuse me, as you say, you know, the... You know, didn't get the most wins in this championship by any stretch of imagination, but um, you know, certainly, um, certainly the consistency there with the number of, of top five finishes. I think there's only a couple of races where he finished outside the top five. So, uh, um, yeah, you know, a f- fantastic achievement there, really, for him. Definitely somebody that you look at uh, when he hangs up his helmet. You know, you'd want him to have won more than one championship for sure. So, uh, yeah, no, really, really good to see. Um, yeah, he's pretty, pretty know, much pretty, yeah, pretty much checked off most of the boxes that an IndyCar driver would like to, which is you know, champion, yeah. championship, multiple championship, uh, and, and Indy, Indy five hundred um, record yeah. for poles. Yeah, so yeah, but you you know you you look at it, you know you still look at it, and you still look at uh, you know um, uh, you know Scott Dixon sort of you know that that's that one mile an hour speeding penalty at Indy, you know it cost him. And uh, that will still nag at him, I'm sure. No, you know, in- incredibly uh, frustrating for him, really. Because again, you know, I mean, Will and and and, and, and Will Power and Scott Dixon, I think, are two drivers that are cut from pretty much the same mold in in terms of how they go about their their success. You know, it's just doing the <laughs> sounds horrible. But it's not the case. Doing the bare minimum to to to, to win, and you know, it's, it's just going through the motions. And yeah, you know that that speeding penalty is a is a real kicker for him. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, in other news, I mean, Callum Eilat qualified on the front row. I mean, obviously he wasn't able to capitalize on that with the mechanical, but uh, man, what a, yeah. what a what what a boost for Uncoach Racing, you know. And that's uh, Callum Eilat. He's your countryman, right? That must have that yeah, must have yeah, yeah. that must have felt pretty good to see him up on the first row. Must have been oh, a giant giant yeah. boost boost for that team. Who's you know traditionally yeah, the uh, yeah they're they're probably the the they're the, well I would say they're the second most underfunded smallest team on the grid after Peretta. Uh, yeah, pro- probably so. Uh, so yeah, so so, so good qualifying result for them. That, yeah, uh, and then but they have announced that they're going to a two car team next year, haven't they? If I'm correct, yes, that? yes, yeah, they, they have. Second car in the know, works. There's still so obviously you know there's some money flooding around there and it's starting to grow and uh, you know she's great for the series, great for the sport. You know you are getting more full time teams out there and people are getting more involved and obviously sponsors are getting more interested in the series. So um, you know it, it, it's baby steps, but it's uh, it's really really good for the sport overall. Yeah, and considered like I mentioned a bit earlier, the the second half they started. Cl- clicking off and I think had certain things gotten a little bit better on the reliability and also polished some errors Isla probably would have been a top 20 points finisher this season even a little higher than 20th in points mm-hmm. right but but at the end of the at the end of the day the rookie of the year went to Christian Lungard who yeah. um you got you got to credit him great uh, great first full season for him uh great yeah. result great result for the Ray Hall team who has been you know they've been a lot mm-hmm. they've been really up and down 
uh, over the years. So, um, you know, nice positive yeah. mo- mojo for them as well. And, no, I, yeah. definitely on on, on Lungard there. I've um, I was, I've got a, a, a sort of a um, you know a special interest in that guy because I'm, I'm very good friends with his uh, race engineer there, and uh, you know, but our whole team's you know on the up in many ways you've got the, they've got a new facility either opened or just about to open in indianapolis they have um uh you know a lot of a lot of good work going on in the lmp series with bmw and some of the prototype racing so yeah a lot of a lot of really good noises coming out of that organization and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, they continue to grow yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's you know it's a good way to finish off the season now. And the biggest disappointment out of Ray Hall is uh, got to be Jack Harvey. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. everybody thought this guy was, you know, that. But you know, ever since so. that Texas practice crash, he's been completely MIA. And I can say that about a lot of drivers. Kirkwood's second half was miserable in my book, completely miserable. He, Meyer Shank had a rather disappointing season with both drivers in my book. It's just a lot of disappointing stuff. Like I expected to do better, but we'll see how they do next year. But yeah, Harvey was a huge dis, huge disappointment on all accounts because I thought he'd be a top fifteen points finisher, maybe get a podium out of it. Instead, what we saw is Lone Guard really lighting up, which doesn't come to surprise because I did have him as my rookie of the year pick going in the off season. And he sure did deliver. It took him a bit, but that second half, it seemed like it clicked on him. And he was able to pull, have a superb run in Laguna to lock it up over David Malukas. Yeah, yeah. Malukas, another guy with a great rookie season. You know, had a podium on the year. Um, it looks like he'll be returning to uh, uh, to Foyt. And then his his the team Coin. is dead. Coin, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and it looks like uh, actually the... Um, the, the team that his father owns uh, that is affiliated with Foyt, they're, they're going to increase their uh, Indy Lights effort to five cars. So that's another bit of side news. But uh, another bit of side news, uh, uh, Linus Lundqvist wins the uh, Indy Lights titles. And, and here's a little interesting tidbit. By winning the Indy Lights title this year, right, finishing third in Indy Lights last year, right, and then uh, winning the uh, Formula Regional Americas um championship in 2020 Linus Lundqvist actually has enough points for a super license and Colton Herta Colton Herta still does not um and so which segues me to uh the the Colton Herta news is that the FIA is very unlikely uh to make any exception uh for Colton Herta um, Colton Herta and Brian Herta are not going to press the issue. Uh, they, there's a little talk of maybe he'll do a, uh, a winter, a winter series. Is, yeah, I could do a winter in, series. In Europe somewhere, yeah. Um, Asia, isn't it? There's a lot of these uh, Asian series, but again, I still don't know if there's been enough, but um, well, I think yeah, it's talking just... doing a, an outing with Alpine as well. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, but it looks increasingly like uh, Colton Herta will spend next year uh, where he spent this year being in that Andretti car, and really, what is it enough? Well, he needs to focus on winning the championship because you know if he well, wins, it, we, you know that's hasn't he been focused on doing that the last two or three years? Evidently not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna be, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. Be a smart asset, but you know, just he, he just needs to he just needs to take a really good hard look at how Will Power handles himself, and and maybe and take a good look at how Scott Dixon handles himself, and, and maybe kind of pattern himself after that a little bit. And that and that again, that comes with maturity and whatnot. But it just I just I read the stat that that Lundqvist uh, is qualified for a super license and Herta is not, and I found that like yeah. just to be oh, you know what I mean. But that's the difference between winning these championships and, you know, winning a couple of races and still finish ninth and 10th in the standings. So again, so by that, that's a good segue into formula one where we were at Monza, another great history. So I was just looking at this. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. So there's the 2000 and there's the formula, formula regional Asian championship, which gets 10 super license points. He did the Formula Regional Americas, which yeah, I, no, believe, this is, I believe this, this is, is coming up this 10. winter. Oh, oh this, this is winter, this winter. winter, right, right, right. Yeah, and that's the Formula Three cars. 
uh, which are pretty underpowered compared to what he'd be used to. But you'd like to think he'd be in a pretty good position to, um, you know, compete with that. And uh, they go between Dubai, Kuwait City, uh, Yas Marina uh, circuits from mid-January to late February. So, uh, I mean, and that supports the Formula 4 championship. So, it, it's, yeah, goodness me. Uh, you know, if he can get that, then... Uh, yeah, well, he'd have to align himself with a team capable of winning that championship. I'm sure and that would be pretty then, easy. Right? And then he'd have to win that championship. Uh, and then he'd have enough points because he's only eight points shy right now if he gets 10. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Now, the, or he could do the, uh, what is it, the Formula 4 championship, which is 12 super license points. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how long they go throughout the season, though. Yeah, they're the same dates. So, yeah, he may do that one. Uh, there's four, eight, four teams entered into that and only two drivers announced so far. So, I mean, if they're... But then that takes a huge risk from, you know, because that will then eat into your pre- Formula 1 pre-season testing, I would have thought, as well. So, yeah, there's a big risk than to take that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll just have to see how all that, that pans out. So, but, um, yeah, so Monza, uh, we got the folks who got to see a Ferrari driver on the pole. Uh, and, it, yeah. and I guess one of the bigger stories, other than, you know, Max winning the fifth race in a row, uh Nick DeVries filling in for Alex Albon. Albon having some, yeah. some he- health issues. He had, uh, I believe they had to rush him to the hospital to take his appendix out. And and then I believe he had some, yeah. some sort of respiratory distress or respiratory failure after the surgery. So pretty scary situation for Albon. Uh, he was forced to sit out the race and um, Nick DeVries filled in and did a nice job, by the way, gaining points in the Williams oh, car. He did more than nice, didn't he? Ex- exactly, yeah. He so, but, uh, but uh, last I read is that Albon is released from the hospital and headed back home. So, uh, and he just wants to focus yeah. on get, getting well for the next round. But, uh, yeah, pretty scary moment um, for, for Albon there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, that could have. That could have ended. That could, could have ended. Yeah. You know. But thankfully, thankfully not. So yeah, yeah hopefully you can make sure. a swift recovery and uh, be back in time for uh, um, Singapore in a few weeks. Uh. Yeah, during the birthday weekend. But yeah, going back to DeVries, that I said that's a huge statement and debut because we talked about how. Certain drivers that you can look at, he could be he could be F one ready. He won the F two championship on what was a trying year for the for the sport because that was the year that Antoine Hoover passed away in twenty nineteen, and 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 we talked about how Felipe Drogovic, who locked up the F two title, also the F three title was decided in Monza, where he may not even end up in Formula One period because there's no caliber call it caliber quality rides available where he could develop or the sponsorship money may not be there for Drugovic as far as I know. Yeah, yeah but, as, but as far that, as uh, uh, as far as uh, DeVries is concerned, I, I bet uh, a certain Nicholas Latifi is very nervous. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he just, he, he, oh, yeah, he, uh, he, he got put points. him to school, didn't he? Yeah, he got points in this day. He, he showed what he, he showcased that he put it in the round, he put it in, in Q2, Whereas Latifi was admired in Q1, eliminated after Q1 yet again. And, and to, to point this out, Latifi still has yet to score a top 10 this season. Everyone else, excluding Hulkenberg, because he only drove for Vettel for that one race, I think, that one or two races to start off the year. Latifi's yes. still the only one without a point. Yeah. That's just, that speaks um, volumes. Latifi's been. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I'm not. I hate criticizing drivers because they're damn good at what they do in the grand scheme of things. But um, you know, yeah, it, it it hasn't been good. And you know, you saw Albon through free practice one and free practice two. I think he made um, top top ten in both free practice one and free practice two, which was you know impressive. You know, given the, the historical performance of the Williams uh, car. And then you know, so you think, okay, well, okay, you know, Derice is coming and he. Okay, he started in the top 10 after, you know, a number of penalties, but it was like, he still, you know, Latifi still didn't really get anywhere close to him. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't good. No, not a good look for Latifi. 
nope, not at all. But uh, so take us through through the race itself. Uh, Max didn't didn't start real close to the front. Well, he started what seventh or yeah, seventh with a penalty. You know, there was the a penalty. Yeah, easy for for you to say strategic engine penalties and gearbox penalties and power unit penalties at this time of season. And as we saw in, uh, I think it was Spa, wasn't it, where um, uh, Max cut through the field, um, you know, to, to, to get a, a, a win. He was very, very similar. And, um, you know, what what can you say, really? I mean, Ferrari didn't make a mistake. You know, the strategy was solid. They had to do what they did. Um, and they just weren't quick enough. You know, it's... Uh, it's a harsh reality of what it is, but, um, you know, they did what they needed to do. And, um, yeah, Red Bull were very, very impressive, um, you know, to win the three races coming away from the, the, the off-season break. It, it sort of starts to remind you a little bit of 2012 when I think Red Bull won every race post-summer post, post uh, summer break. So, yeah, it, it's ominous. I mean, I think, actually, technically, Verstappen can win the championship in Singapore next weekend or in two weeks time, if he wins and I guess um, uh, none of his nearest rivals finish the race. So um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, very, very difficult to to poke holes in them. But as as a race itself, you know, um, Leclerc got a good start and led away, um, you know, from Russell, you know, Russell hung on for a little bit, but there was that constant gap. And then, through the pit stop cycles and some of the strategy calls, um, you know, Max got got started to get close and was, um, you know, closing on Leclerc. Leclerc decided to stop and try and take some soft tyres to see if he could have a run at Verstappen towards the end of the race, but Verstappen just kept him at arm's length for the whole whole time there. And then, then of course, we had the little bit of, uh, you know, controversial finish to the race. Um, I think it started with about 10, 15 laps to go, maybe when I think it was Valtteri Bottas retired, if I'm correct in saying there, with uh, an engine failure of some sort. And that was reacted to under um, under a safety car, or sorry, virtual safety car situation, whereby, um, you know, the marshals could just push the car through one of the openings in the barrier. Uh, But then with about five or six laps to go, Danny Ricciardo, who again, struggling, you know, he's in the points, but still not incredibly impressive, unfortunately, um, throughout the weekend. He was struggling and, and had another engine retirement, and he's unfortunately car stopped between the two Lesmos, I think it was there, which was a very hard position to get the car off the track. Um, the so auto-neutral that these cars should have to allow the marshals to push the car failed, which does happen. So it required the the track to come onto the track to help remove the car, which is an automatic safety car. And um, unlike Abu Dhabi last year, which I think is where some of the um, controversy and happiness comes from, they actually followed the letter of the rules um, correctly in this instance. And uh, they weren't able to restart the race, so the race finished under a safety car which I don't think anybody likes to see, but those are the rules which everybody signed up for and nobody should be surprised about. Um, and, uh, yeah, we sort of, you know, Max is the winner and we, we sort of move on. Um, was it the right way of finishing the race? It's difficult to say, you know. If they'd stopped the race with three laps to go and had like a NASCAR-style shootout, people would complain about that. You're trying to manipulate it. You know, if they want the race to finish as a race, then they have to look at... Um, you know, the sporting regulations, because at the moment the, the stewards did exactly what they were meant to do. So nobody's ever going to be happy, you know, all the time in these situations. But uh, no, no, this is always one of those things that, you know, you be careful what you wish for, you know. So yeah. they, they complain when they, they stop a race, you know, oh, you're manipulating them, but then they complain when you finish. And and to Formula One's credit, they, they rarely rarely finish a race under a safety car. It, it's, you I know, mean, it's, the, the most previous one I can think of was, I mean, there was one in the early 2000s, I think it was at Silverstone, wasn't it, where Schumacher took his penalty in the pit lane on the last lap. And then no. there was a Canada was... in, what, 97, I think, that finished under a... Um, or Canada, as I think, finished under the safety car in the past. Yeah, 90, um, 99, 97. I think there was also one in Melbourne that 
I think it was the Jensen one. Yeah, I think it was one of the ones that Button won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it very, 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 very rarely happens. But they, you know, do you get into that situation? You know, because I, I'm a firm believer that if you have a rule on the first lap of the race, that rule should be the same as the last lap of the race. So if you have a safety car at the first lap of the race, then it needs to go through the same procedures as the last lap of the race. Just because you're near the end of the race, personally, I don't think that um, should come into play. So if you want to guarantee yourself uh, an exciting finish to the race, do you stop all the cars on the grid and make them restart, you know, with with one lap to go? Um, But then you have to do that on every safety car period, which I don't know if they'd want to go to the extremes, you know, then almost turn it into like a NASCAR style thing where they have the the standing re or you know the the restarts um, you know every time there's a, a yellow flag out there so they have to come up with a, 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 a procedure that fits every possible set of circumstances and not again not try to manipulate the race. Would you love to have seen Leclerc and Verstappen battle it out for a couple of laps there at the end with? Leclerc on the fresher tyres and Max on the older tyres. Yeah, you'd love to see it. But it was no, you know, under the current regulations, it would and should never have happened. Correct. Yeah. And and I think IndyCar and Formula One both have the same problem when it comes to uh, any kind of overtime rule where it's just the fuel, yeah. the fuel is so tight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these. Know, these Formula One guys, they probably got less than a pint of fuel in the car at the end of the race. They're they calculated that close, yeah. and, and they, and well, Indy, they Indy cars the same way. And they underfill the cars in Formula One as well because Formula One you have a, a maximum amount of fuel you can use, but you also have a maximum amount of rate of fuel that you can use. You know, so you can't, but you know, you can't burn too much fuel too quickly. Um, you know, Red Bull got caught up by that six or seven years ago with that. Uh, fuel flow sensor that they introduced. So, um, yeah, you know, and also in Formula 1, of course, you can't refuel. You know, if you run out of fuel, you run out of fuel. And we've seen on a number of occasions, you look back to, I think it was Seb Vettel in um, Hungary last year, where actually got disqualified from the race because he didn't have enough fuel left in his car um, post-race. So it is a big issue. Um, so the only way you can get it is to stop the cars, you know, with three or four or five laps to go, whatever it is. And again, you can't I'm a very firm believer that you can't have, okay, well, there's less than five laps to go, so this is the rule. Whereas, okay, there's 15 laps to go, this is the rule. Um, I don't think you can do that. Um, I think you can do that. But I think that it... But but I think think that... everything. Yeah, I was going to say, well, but I think that that if that is written in the rules, you take out that, you know, this is like when they do this in IndyCar, they decide to... To, to throw the red to preserve the finish, you know, and and they've but done yeah, it, they've done it, they, you know, they've done yeah. it at Indianapolis a couple times, and other times they didn't do it, you know, yeah. just just depending but, on the situation. But if you have, yeah, I still scratch my head some of the five hundred red flags, that, like especially this year when they red flagged and were like three to go. Yeah, 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 but uh, it did set up an exciting finish. Um, but then, then again, you figure a couple years ago, right when. Uh, Dixon and Sato were fighting, and they didn't red flag it. But you had a perfectly good explanation for that yeah. because because the the pit wall, the the pit lane attenuator wall was destroyed. And yeah, and it was an that, injury ordeal with Piggott. Exactly right. You had an injured driver. The time it would have taken to clean that up, they'd have been fighting the sunset. Yeah, it was already beginning so. the sunset, so they were not. They were a race against time, and something like that would probably take about an hour, hour and a half. And on top of that, I had to bring everybody back to pit road, but it's already clogged up pretty bad with the debris and everything. That was just not right. Possible. Right. Plus, you know what? They didn't have anybody in the stands to worry about getting mad. That was that was the empty stand in the 500 in August, if you recall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So, but, but anyway, but it is, you know, I, 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 I hate to say NASCAR has it right because I hate the overtimes because all the overtimes every every restart leads to a crash or at least another overtime. I, I think that's ridiculous, but I do I do like the fact that they that they don't end under yellow, you know. But but I don't like the fact that sometimes your your five hundred mile race is actually you know five hundred and eighteen miles or whatever the shit you know. So yeah, I mean there's a there's an answer in there somewhere. Uh, but Richard, to your point that the the rule on the last lap should be the same as the rule on the first lap, I think there's some wiggle room in there to 
preserve the finish, but, but it's gotta be, but it's gotta be consistent. And you know, if there's this many laps to go, like when there's only three to go, I just ended under yellow. If you ask me, but if there's like, you know, eight to go or 10 to go and you can, you can preserve that, you know, and still not fight the day a lot. I don't, I don't think that's a horrible thing. But then what happens if you're at a, uh, an Austria where, you know, a lap is, you know, two and a half miles or you're at a spa where it's five miles. Well, this is true. I guess you, you can write the rule for how much race distance is last. See, this is why you and I don't write rules for the FIA. <laughs> we just critique them. Yeah. We, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so we got, got a, a couple weeks, we got a couple weeks off, right? And then, then we're headed to Singapore. Is that correct? Yeah, yes. birthday weekend. I think it's on October. Uh, so 2nd. Singapore is yeah, because we're not in Russia on the twenty fifth of September. So it's the second of October. Uh, they're in Singapore under the lights, and then Japan the following weekend. Yeah, and those two races will have a champion crowd more than likely. Yeah, by, by the time, by the uh, yeah. time, yeah, by the time we get to the states in November, they will be it'll be over. So, yep. Yeah, all three formula titles be decided by that point. Yep, but uh, you got to hand it to Max. I mean, this guy or, to the Red Bull team, really, he's uh, yeah, he's been uh, yeah, he's been he's, bulletproof. Yeah, and I yeah, think the big talk after that championship is can he break the record for both wins in the season? Uh, which is what? Um, how many? What's the record for wins in the season? Isn't it like twelve or thirteen by Hamilton or Vettel? One of those. It's got to be one of those two guys, yeah. Or um, does Schumacher have any ten win plus seasons? I'm sure he must have. Ooh, must be up there. Yeah. Yeah, I was um, gonna say yeah. So, because Schumacher never let his teammate win, you know. You, of course, you had. Of course, you, you know you had the one year where um, McLaren won fifteen of the sixteen races, but those were split. Eighty-eight. Yeah. Yeah, those were split between Prost and Senna. So. Yeah. True. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, records are made to be broken, you know. So, uh, and um, uh, highest number yeah. of wins per season. Yeah, so thirteen. So Seb and Michael Schumacher both share thirteen races. Um, Two thousand four for Schumacher, twenty thirteen for Seb. Uh, although Schumacher's thirteen <laughs> wins were in eighteen races, and Seb's were thirteen wins in nineteen races. Um, and then if you want to look at another statistic, Ascari in 1952, I know you remember it well, Frank, uh, Ascari won uh, six uh, out yeah. of eight. So, he, so Ascari has the highest percentage wins per season. And the most consecutive wins is that's, that's still Vettel, isn't it? And, Ooh, and, 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 I, and I think, question. I think that, I think he's tied with Ascari, uh, because if you take and loop the wins from the end of one season to the beginning of the next consecutive wins like that. I think they both, I think it's eight. Yeah, because I, I think Vettel won out in 12 or 13. He won out. The, uh, yeah, so it says Seb Vettel won most consecutive, uh, I think. Um, I'm not trying to say I know this off the top of my head. Uh, nine. Nine wins from the 2013 Belgian Grand Prix to the 2013 Brazilian Grand Prix. Right, and he broke a record that Ascari had with eight. Yeah, but same thing looped over, looped over two seasons. So, but that's yeah. nine. I mean, Max is up to five right now, uh, with with no signs of slowing down. You know, he, he yeah, can, oh, yeah, yeah, he can certainly uh, break that record and the record for most wins. Are there, are there enough races left for him to? Yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I believe One, there are. Two, yeah, three, four, five, six, six races left. Yeah, he's got how many so, wins right now? Five in a row, so he can get to 11. In a row, yeah. How many wins does he have on the season? Oh, jeez. I think think Leclerc has two, Paris has one, Sainz has one. Um, He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yes, if he wins three three more, he breaks the record, yeah. So that that But that's from a lot more races. Exactly. Um, 22 races. Right. If he right. wins the next two, then he would tie Schumacher's 13 from 18. There you go. 
He's uh, and it's going to be tough for Hamilton to keep that streak alive unless we they put a whole race together where they they're up the ante over Red Bull at this point. Is right now the threat to to Verstappen is honestly more Hamilton than Leclerc at this point because we know Ferrari or Ferrari they're gonna for do Ferrari things like Denver Broncos did Ferrari things on Monday night. <laughs> you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, say that for the football podcast. All right, so, um, well, we are, we are out of time. So, uh, so NASCAR is gonna be coming to Bristol, Bristol, uh, and that'll be our, our, you know, main focus of next week's show. Formula One will have the weekend off, and the IndyCar will have the rest of the season off. Uh, but I'm sure we'll we'll begin to get some uh, off-season news uh, coming out of that series as some of these uh, seats for 2023 fall into place, and maybe we'll have a decision on the Alex Palou thing uh, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, until then, I want to thank you, Richard and Louise. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And I want to thank you folks that listen to us every week. But until next week, good night. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.